invite you to open in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 22. Such an encouragement to see these young ones and their profession of their faith. For those of you who are not familiar with the process, they've gone through a 12-week class and the basics of the Christian faith and of our theology. And then they had to come before the session and share their testimony of what the Lord had done in their life. And I know that for many people, the idea of going up before the session and sharing their testimony is, uh, is a frightening thing. But they each uh, came with uh, nerves of steel and shared their testimonies. And it was such an amazing thing to hear how the Lord had been faithful to our covenant children, to bring them to a place where they could surely say, yes, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So praise the Lord for that. So this morning we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 22. Turn there in your Bibles. Now I think that as we turn to God's Word this morning, we need to be honest that there are many portions of God's Word that are just too difficult to follow. Of course, there are things that we like about the Bible, but there are many times that demands of God's Word are not convenient are easy, are popular, are fun. The Word of God can be restrictive, demanding, and absolute. For example, isn't Jesus maybe going a little too far when He says that even to look at a woman with lustful intent in your heart is adultery? Come on, Jesus. Jesus, aren't you much too judgmental when you teach that to call someone a fool is to make you liable to the hell of fire? And that's another thing. Why all this talk about hell and judgment? Can't we just be positive and talk about love? Why does the Word of God have to spend so much time on such nasty thoughts like punishment for sin? Why even talk about sin? Wouldn't we be better served if the Bible were just more affirming to the things that we want to do? Why all the thou shalt nots? They're troublesome demanding. And if you mention some of them in a public setting, you could be ridiculed or even accused of hate speech. So what are we to do? Well, thankfully, in our text for this morning, we have a great example of how to ignore the word of God. And if you've ever wondered how you might get out of following God's demands, if you have ever hoped to avoid its inconvenient truths, If you have long loved certain parts of God's Word but wanted other parts just to kind of disappear, well, you're in luck. Because as we read our text for this morning, we will see a great example in King Ahab on how to continually and persistently ignore the Word of God. So here now, God's holy Word for us, His people. 1 Kings chapter 22. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people are your people. My horses are your horses. 
And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not another prophet of the Lord whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, said to him that he... Sorry, I lost my place. And Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with you you shall push the Samarians... The Syrians until they are destroyed. My goodness. God says, don't talk that way about my word. (laughs) And all the prophets prophesied so and said, go up to Ramoth Gilead in triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, What the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he and he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hear all you peoples. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you wear your robes. 
And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians, until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset a cry went through the army, Every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now and we ask that you would give to us the grace of your spirit that as we read your word and we hear it proclaimed, that we might have the grace to believe and to follow. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for it is life. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, as you see in your outline, that is in your bulletin for this morning, we are going to look at six effective ways, six effective ways for ignoring the word of God. And the first way that we see in our text to ignore the word of God that's given to us by Ahab is that we must make our plans and we must act without first considering what the Word of God says. That is, the best way to ignore God's Word is to literally ignore the fact that God has spoken to us, His people, in His Word. In verses 1 through 4 of our text, we see that Ahab wants to retake the economic jewel of Ramoth-Gilead from the Syrian control, and so he takes opportunity from King Jehoshaphat's visit to devise a plan to go to war and win this city back. And it seems like a good plan. The Lord had given Ahab victory over Syria several times, as we've already read. Now Ahab has the added firepower of his sister kingdom in Judah. So why not take this opportunity? And this is a great strategy in ignoring God's word. Make plans and schemes before ever going to the word of God for wisdom and guidance. Make plans about your future career. Make plans about your family. Make plans about starting a business or entering into retirement without ever giving any consideration to what God might have to say to you. If you want to make it look more holy, then after you make your plans and start doing them, you can pray that God would bless them. But if you really want to ignore his word, you have to make sure that you make your plans and start acting on them before you ever look at his word, because it's very difficult to ignore the word of God 
if you begin with it. So the first lesson, make your plans while ignoring God's word. The second lesson that we learn is that to ignore God's word, we need to look for only approval in his word. Now, Ahab is in this awkward position, right? He needs the help of his overly religious neighbor from the south, King Jehoshaphat. Plans were all set. The alliance has been made. They're ready to go. But then old King Joe has to go and get religious. Look at verse 5. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. You can feel the awkwardness of the moment. I mean, Ahab doesn't have the most positive background with the word of the Lord, but that's old Jehoshaphat for you, always bringing up God and making everybody feel uncomfortable. Like the guy who suggests prayer before the bachelor party. Right? Don't you know when to keep your mouth shut? Don't interrupt by making everyone feel uncomfortable saying that we need to go look at the Bible. Ahab has tried moving forward without consulting the Lord, but now Jehoshaphat has obligated him to at least make a show of listening to God's word. So how do you ignore God's word while at the same time making it look like you're listening to it? Well, you seek only approval in the word of God. You see... You ignore anything in God's word that might be dissenting to what you already believe. Look at Ahab's mastery in doing this. First, he surrounds himself with prophets that affirm what he already believes. Ahab has about 400 yes-men, false prophets who will support whatever he wants to do with a bit of scripture and a flurry of showmanship. When he asks about the attack on Syria, wouldn't you know there's 100% agreement. This is from the Lord. The head voice of these prophets is Zedekiah. And he draws on imagery from the book of Deuteronomy and he performs a little play to act out how Israel is going to defeat Syria with this horn of iron. And it all looks very religious and it all looks very biblical. And that's the genius of this approach. You can look religious while at the same time ignoring what God actually says. God makes some rather difficult demands on our lives. Jesus said, if you would follow him, you must take up your cross daily. Who wants to do that? Would it not be better to take the approach of the prosperity gospel folks who claim that God just wants you to be healthy and wealthy and wants you to lead a long disease free life? You see, you can ignore all the parts about suffering and hardship. You can ignore all the parts about service and sacrifice and accounting others higher than yourselves by looking only to those passages that speak of your own personal well-being. God has a good plan for my life, which I assume is that I will be happy and lead a long, healthy life, hopefully with lots of money. You see, Ahab teaches us that we can put a show of submitting to God, but at the same time, just affirm what we already believe. But this 100% approval seems a little bit too perfect for Jehoshaphat. See, he doesn't remember the prophets back in Judah being so agreeable. So he asks in verse 7, 
Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Again, Jehoshaphat pushing his religion on Ahab. Ahab's like, hey, what do you want from me? I found a verse in the Bible that says that I can do this. What else can I do? Why are you going to be so judgmental to me, Jehoshaphat? You see, his insistence that they find his dissenting voice leads to the third lesson in ignoring the word of God. Overlook all rebuke in God's word. Look at verse 8. There Ahab makes his voice clear. There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. A good prophet is a prophet who says what you want them to say. Don't go consulting those prophets who rebuke you. When ignoring the word of God, it's very important that your concern for truth be suspended. So that your personal desires and your personal beliefs can be affirmed. Ahab doesn't want to hear from Micaiah because Micaiah is always so negative. And if he would ignore God's word, then he needs to be careful to avoid anything that might call into question his personal lifestyle choices or behaviors. You have to avoid the negative. Once I was talking with a young couple who got this principle perfectly. They were telling me about a church that they had recently left. They said, you know, we feel like the pastor was picking on us. Every Sunday, he said something from the pulpit that made us feel convicted. And so we left. And we came to your church. (laughs) Exactly. They get it. That's how you ignore the word of God. If a pastor is telling you things that make you feel uncomfortable and is rebuking you for your sin, run away. I mean, who does Micaiah think he is? And that pastor at that church, who did he think he was? Rebuking people for their sin. How dare the word of God make anybody feel bad about what they want to do? How dare the Apostle Paul for writing such things as he did in 1 Corinthians 6? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Come on, Paul! Who gives you the right to say say such things? If you're going to ignore the word of God, you need to take a lesson from Ahab. Put your fingers in your ears and say, la, 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 anytime somebody rebukes you or brings up sin. That's how you ignore the word of God. Okay. Well, we're making some good progress here. We have some good strategies under our belt, but what if all of these fail? What if you have a friend or a family member or a pastor that just keeps persistently putting God's word in your face? Well, this is exactly what happened to Ahab with the prophet Micaiah. So what does he do? Well, he employs his next strategy, which is to suppress the messenger 
by any means possible. Suppress the messenger of the word of God. Look at verse 13. And this envoy comes to Micaiah and he says to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Right? Everyone told the king, you're good to go. Let your word be like the word of one of them. Speak favorably. Right? Hey, everyone's in support of this war, Micaiah. So just go along with the group. Ahab can fulfill Jehoshaphat's request. He will seek to put on an outward show of belief in the word of God, but to ignore the word, he's going to use persuasion and pressure to ensure that Micaiah goes along with the group. You see, peer pressure is a great way to suppress the message of God's word. All right, so this Easter, you have some relative that's going to force you to pray before you eat your Easter dinner. Let him know how awkward it makes everybody else in the family feel when he brings up God. That's just not welcome around here. Some kid at school is pushing his Christian beliefs or values. Make sure that you publicly mock him. Or even better yet, start a social media campaign calling him out as the hate-filled, narrow-minded bigot that he obviously is. Because public shaming is a great strategy for ignoring the word of God. You know why? Because you don't actually have to engage with what the Word of God is saying. You just make the messenger feel bad. Yet again, Micaiah doesn't get it. Look at his response in verse 14. He says, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. So he continues. And so if peer pressure doesn't work as it didn't work on Micaiah, you can always move to actual physical pressure. When Micaiah speaks against Ahab's plans, he's physically assaulted and then he's in prison. And this is what we might call the classic approach to ignoring the word of God, right? It's well established throughout history to physically assault those who would be so bold as to speak God's word. When Paul spoke the word of truth before the leaders of Israel, they punched him in the face and they bound him and they threw him in prison. Throughout the history of the church, we have martyrs who were unwilling to be silenced and they were put to death. Even our Lord Jesus Christ spoke the word of God before the leaders of Israel. They struck him, they bound him, and they crucified him. You see, throughout history... People have been ignoring God's word by physically assaulting those who won't take the hint and just shut up. First, you can seek to silence the word through subtle suggestions and intimidation. But when that fails, turning to outright violence against pastors and missionaries and just general Bible-pushing Christians is a historic and well-accepted practice of those who want to ignore God's truth. Now, Ahab has given us so many options here, but there are more. The next lesson we learn in ignoring the Word of God is to just outsmart it. If you can outsmart the Word of God, then you can ignore it. Now, as we've read, Micaiah has spoken God's Word that this war is not going to go well and that Ahab is going to die if he continues to pursue this battle. 
So how do you ignore something so ominous as God's word saying that unless you repent, that you are going to die? Well, you outsmart it, apparently, with a disguise. Ahab goes into battle dressed up as a common soldier. Ahab says, you know what? I'm not going to die because I'm going to put on this fake mustache and this wig and God will never know that I'm there. There's always some way to outsmart the word of God. The Bible says you're not to indulge in sin and rebellion. But the Bible also says that you should not be, you should not judge. So who are you to tell me what to do? Ha! The word of God outsmarted. The Bible says Christians are to pursue holiness in all of life. But it also says that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So I can indulge in sin. I don't have to repent of it because God will just forgive me. See, if you want to ignore the very clear and plain teaching of Scripture, just muddy the waters by misapplying some other part of Scripture and you're good to go. If you just knew the Greek or the Hebrew, you would understand that that's not really what's being said here. Just like Ahab. Put on a disguise and just do what you want to do. Now, The sixth lesson in in ignoring the Word of God is the most technical way to ignore the Word of God. And that is to try to outwardly obey God's Word without the Holy Spirit. Now, this strategy is highly technical, but it's been done effectively throughout history. And it's best used in those situations where it's important that you look like you are a Christian when you're really not a Christian. You know, if you're raised in a Christian family and you need to just kind of go along. Or maybe you want to date a girl who is a Christian and she says, you got to come to church with me and you have to be a Christian for us to date. Hey, are there any guys like that here today? This is a good strategy for you. Try to follow God's Word without the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you just live in a part of the world where going to church is something that you're expected to do, you need to put on a show, well, this is a good strategy. It's sneaky, but it works. You see, Ahab was in a situation like this. He needed to look like he was obeying God's word. I mean, he's the king of Israel. It's politically necessary. But through Micaiah, we get a glimpse into the spiritual reality of what's actually happening. He tells us that the Lord sought a spirit to entice Ahab to ignore his word. The spirit will accomplish this goal by putting a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Now, we might have questions about what the Lord is doing here and calling forth a spirit to deceive Ahab. But if we go down that path, we miss the broader point. You see, Ahab had the truth before him. Micaiah, because the Lord revealed it to him, lets Ahab know, if you go into battle against Syria, your army will be defeated and you are going to be killed. Ahab had every opportunity to obey. But this is how Ahab is so smart. Because he allows himself to be blinded by the lying spirit even when the truth was right before him. So that he could outwardly follow God's word without the spirit of truth actually changing his heart. You can look religious 
and be religiously acceptable if you just outwardly follow everything that you're supposed to follow, but avoid the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. It looks like you are a Christian, but in reality, you're just merely acting outwardly in a manner that does not match your heart and your beliefs. Now, Christians might call this being a hypocrite. I mean, Jesus is always on the Pharisees for this type of stuff, calls them whitewashed tombs, outwardly clean, but inwardly filled with death. Hey, but sometimes you got to do whatever it takes to ignore the word of God. And if it means outwardly pretending to be a Christian without inwardly receiving the message, then so be it. And who cares if God's word says you're a hypocrite? You're ignoring it anyways. Well, as we come to the end, I have to admit that there is one more lesson that we learned about ignoring God's word that we left off your outline. And we did this because it's a bit inconvenient in light of how Ahab's story ends. And it doesn't really illustrate the point very well. You see, if you're going to ignore the word of God, then you're going to have to ignore the ending of Ahab's life. The journey is good. It's rather easy. But the end isn't so great. So just ignore it. It's probably best to ignore the fact that Ahab is in fact killed because he ignored God's word. I mean, of course he outsmarted God by dressing up as a common soldier. But unfortunately, he just kind of randomly gets killed in battle. Read verse 34. It says... But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. I mean, what are you going to do, right? Random arrows, they're always just flying around and hitting perfectly in the gap between somebody's armor. Don't make that let you think that God's word was proven true. That was just a coincidence. Don't let the ending or any other ending entice you to obey God's word. Because the Bible clearly says that the wages of sin is death. Just like Ahab, we are all marching into a battle where we are going to die. It clearly says that all have sinned and therefore all will die. It also clearly says that to escape this eternal death, you must repent. Even as Micaiah said to Ahab, you need to repent from your plans. The word of God says to each of us, you need to repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God incarnate. You must trust in him because he died the death you deserve so that you might be free to receive the life that he earned. And the Bible clearly teaches that this Jesus rose from the dead to life everlasting and all who believe in him for forgiveness of sins and follow his word, though they die, yet they shall live forever. You've got to not take into account how the story of ignoring God's word will end for you. Because those who ignore the word of God will end up like King Ahab. They will die. But the end of those who repent and believe and obey the word is life. Because our King, King Jesus, 
lives. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Almighty God, we come to you and we pray. We pray because we know that the battle to believe your word is a spiritual battle. And that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they would not believe the gospel. We pray, O oh God, that you would give to us your Holy Spirit that our eyes might be open. And we might no longer ignore your word, but that we would trust it. And by your grace, receive life and life everlasting in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his holy name that we do pray. Amen.